Happy post-holiday week. We hope you enjoyed your 4th of July and all the fireworks and good food. Welcome to Echo Online. That's right. We want to inspire you to take your first steps into our life-giving local church and discover the community and support you have been searching for. Come join us for one of our services at Mayo High School at either 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. on Sundays. We cannot wait to meet you and your family. Our hope is that Echo will become your place where you feel a true sense of belonging, your people, where you find friendships and support, and your purpose, where you discover and fulfill your unique calling. We believe that's what we're all searching for, and we're excited to share it with you. That's right. And okay, one more benefit of giving to the local church. Here we go. Financial stewardship. According to the Bible, giving encourages financial stewardship by cultivating a mindset of generosity, responsible budgeting, and wise management of resources. Yes, yes. So donate today. Steward what has been given to you. You can donate by heading to our website or simply going to our Venmo and Venmoing us at We Are The Echo Church. Enjoy the rest of Echo Online. See you later. God, in this moment, we know that you are running after us, God. We know that your goodness is always there, whether we feel it or not. God, today we just want to be where you are.
God, we are so grateful that you came to our rescue, God. When we are in need of your love, we are in need of your goodness, that you came to our rescue, and you'll do it again and again today, tomorrow, and the next day. So God, just hear our cry. We want to be where you are. We're so grateful. Amen. place, right? Well, our people, our place, our purpose, uh, uh, but new, new space here. But I, I love, I love that it is really the same movement of radical revolutionaries. And maybe you don't see yourself as a radical revolutionary, but I see a young man with long hair over here. So at least we know we got, we got some, some radicals in the house. I, okay, let's be honest. I'm not that radical. I've got long hair, but if I'm honest, my shirt's from J. Crew. I got five kids. I drive an SUV and I'm in parent pickup and drop off. So the revolutionary life looks a little different these days. Um, but I, I do love this space. I was, uh, I was walking to the restroom. You ever go to a restroom in new space? And I'm thinking about the message and I'm walking into the restroom and I looked up and I, my heart like dropped. There's plants, there's a changing table, no urinals. I'm like, I am in the women's bathroom at the church. But no. No, at Echo, men's churches have greenery and a changing room. And if you go around the corner, men, there are urinals there as well. So sidestepped that one. Uh, it is, I'm thrilled to be here. My wife uh, and four of my five kids rolled in a little bit later, um, but she put down her coffee, raised her hands and starts weeping um, just because the spirit of God is here. Um, really great musicians um, are part of it. Uh, this dude, I think Corey, um, Cordy. Oh, very music. Uh, <laughs> little bone to pick. You, you know, you love and hate this kind of guy, right? So, so good musician. He can sing. He can play the guitar. The drums overkill. Okay, <laughs> pick one. Don't hog it all. Pick your lane. Stay in your lane. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here to be able to say thank you to our dear family friends, Andy and Christy, um, their family, to the broader Echo community. Uh, uh, I was thinking, uh, it was uh, 2019 and a man came up to me and uh, he was moved by the work that Venture gets to do. You saw some of it, it's kind of our mutual story. And he was moved specifically uh, the work that we do with anti-trafficking in places where young girls in these communities, 70, 90% of them um, are trafficked at the age nine, 10, and 11. And, and he was so moved, he gave me a check and I can remember the, the amount very clearly, even though it's four years later, it was $1,080, which is the amount that it costs to care for one of these girls who have been rescued for an entire year. It takes care of their housing, it takes care of their food, their um, na uh, nation-leading education and discipleship. Uh, but as I talked with him, what moved me was the place of need that this guy and his wife was in. They were transitioning from one job to another job and they had really fairly high financial need and yet a $1,000 check. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about 
Andy and Christy Cass. I'm talking about your leaders. And the transition was planting this church, starting this church in Rochester. And when I asked them, I'm like, you're just, you're just starting. You haven't raised all your support. You don't even know the building that you're going to be in. He said, here's, here's our value that we would respond to those in need even when we're in the midst of need. And I want you to know that's the kind of place that you're a part of, that's the kind of leaders that you're a part of. And so everything that you saw in that video, that's our shared story. Those statistics, that impact, that's what we do because we as a movement of ECHO, as a group of people respond to other people's needs. There's a, at the end of the video, there's a baptism which in our movement, in our tradition, it represents the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. You will be having an opportunity, if you haven't, to get baptized uh, very soon here. Um, but after that, there's a phoenix that rises up. Now, lest you think that I'm going to go Harry Potter on you, I'm not. Um, the phoenix is actually older than Harry Potter, um, but it was a a mythical creature that flew around for 500 years and then would crash to the earth in flames, but would rise up out of the pile of ashes stronger than ever. This has been our symbol for venture since we began, but actually it was a symbol that the early church, many of them picked even before the cross because they were like, this is a picture of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and this is our shared story that whatever brought you to this room or online in this moment we can participate in the idea that we can rise up stronger than ever before. Wherever you are at, whether you are a super good Christian like Christy, or whether you're mm, like Andy, there's room for, <laughs> really there's room for everybody. And this is, this is our shared story. And I, I see this picture of the Phoenix rising probably most clearly through our international partners, partners that you all support. If you're generous in this house at all, um, you help support. But it's these, it's these leaders, and we serve in some of the toughest places on the planet. And by tough places, what I mean is it's unsafe. Uh, we serve uh, in an area which is the longest ongoing conflict and civil war, has the highest instances of child soldiering. We serve in another area, like I said, where, where the um, child trafficking, the human trafficking of these girls is happening between 70 and 90% in their communities. We just stepped foot into a new country that is called the most closed country in the world. Um, and then another country is the most, uh, the most agitative to Christianity. These are the places that we serve. So for our partners, it's very unsafe. Um, and then uh, unreached. We choose to serve in places where there's less than 2% gospel witness. And that simply means out of 100 people, Less than two people have even heard the name of Jesus or, or even heard that God's not mad at them. And if you don't know this, God's not mad at you. God loves you. Even Andy. God loves, God loves everybody. Um, whatever you brought in, whatever you did last night, whatever happened this week, and, and, and uh, there are places in the world that don't know that, that don't have this worldview. They believe that God is punishing them in their place of life. And then, and then we serve in places that are under-resourced where less than 1%. So all of these great injustices are happening and people don't know the name of Jesus. And yet the church is only investing 1% of all giving in these places. And so we, that's where we want to be. And when I say we, it's not people that look like me or the other really good long-haired gentlemen over here, but it's people that were born and raised in these parts of the world that understand the complexity that are working through the Holy Spirit to come up with immediate and long-term and even eternal solutions. So with that backdrop, 
You, you have to understand why I get excited to share some stories about what it looks like for Phoenix to rise up out of the ashes of poverty and trafficking and oppression, like Cuckoo. Cuckoo is delivering meals right here, and Cuckoo serves in a country that has the longest ongoing civil war, and she serves meals to refugee camps and to IDP camps, that's internally displaced people. She serves in age villages and leper colonies, actual leper colonies. What's crazy about what Cuckoo is doing is it's illegal to do everything she's doing simply because she targets um, illegal refugee uh, minorities that are being oppressed. This last year, in her country, our partners, three of them died. They were killed simply for delivering meals and sharing the hope of the gospel. And so we encouraged Cuckoo, hey, should we take a step back? And, and what she said was this, shouldn't we help more when people are in need? When we're in between jobs and starting a church, shouldn't we write that check? Do you see the parallel there? She courageously is responding. In fact, she said this, she said, I will never stop. I will never stop serving the people in my country, not even for the safety of me or my family. That's a tough one. In a culture, a country, and a family where safety we put as a premium, how do we wrestle with that? Or like Sashila was sold as a child bride by her parents in another country that we serve. And then her husband traffics her, beats her, electrocutes her, locks her in a bathroom at 1.4 straight days, all she had was toilet water. But somehow she finds the courage to escape through one of our, ref, or one of our um, safety programs. And not only does she find freedom, which nobody would, would blame her if she just wanted to find freedom and move on with her life, but she says she has given her life to rescue other girls. She literally stands on the border of Nepal and India and says, that girl shouldn't be walking alone. Go talk to her. I'm going to go talk to her. I'm going to go talk to her. And through this program that we work with her on, just quarter one of this year, 79 girls were rescued from being trafficked. We counseled over 1,200. Yeah. And, and Sashila is bad because she took down the human trafficking ring that had enslaved her. She took down her husband and the largest ring in her region. She got a national award because she understands that not only does she get to be free, but we can be a part of other people being free. She is like a phoenix rising up. It is everything I can to keep from cussing in a good way about how awesome she is. Or like me too, one of our youngest partners in a part of the world that said, hey, in your past life, you were really bad, so God is mad at you and you are the lowest of the low. And one of our partners said, no, God loves you. And she was so moved by this, she wanted to go back to her village. She's like, this is the greatest news. I've never heard this before. So she goes to one of our pastor training schools, learns to become a pastor at a very young age. If any of you are less than 17 years old, listen to this, me too. At 16, goes back to her village to share this good news that God's not mad at her. And right away, people start responding, and then a witch doctor who runs the village throws her in jail. The jail is a five-by-five-by-five by five wooden box where she's beaten, and she doesn't get to see the light of day until 30 days later when they let her out because they're afraid the jailers are going to become Christians. And they make a deal, said, we'll let you out, but you cannot share the gospel. And she said, I will plant God's church or I will die. Today, she is a pastor of over 30 families in her community. She's like a phoenix. 
These are your stories. This is what you're a part of because you choose to be a part of this. This is what we get to, a part, get to be a part of. And I'm so moved by this, this moment, this invitation to rise up stronger, to be a part of something bigger than maybe even what we thought when we rolled in this morning. And it's not just in scripture. It's not just our international partners. We see it throughout this book. I like to call it a revolutionary manifesto, and we're not talking about Marxism. We're talking about an upside-down kingdom that invites us to live in such a powerful way that not only changes us, but it changes other people. And this is what our partners, I think, understand better than I ever could, is that not only does the gospel transform us, but it invites us to be a part of transforming other people's lives, even if it costs us something. Even if it costs us something. So there's this book in the Second Testament. It's a little book, somewhat passed over, but over history, over time, it has been scandalized and scrutinized, and some people have even ripped it out because it is so dangerous, and that's where we're going to jump in today. Philemon is a letter from Paul to the letter's namesake, and Paul is writing to this, this leader of the church concerning a third character named Onesimus. And you can follow with me. Philemon's only one chapter. We're gonna be really spiritual. We're almost gonna read a whole book this morning. Four to 18, you can follow on the screen or scroll on your phone, the Bible, not other things. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people, verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and I could order you what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It has none... It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and me. 12. And I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor that you uh, do would not seem to be forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason why he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And finally, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. The word of God for the people of God. This letter, this letter that has been passed over, it's been scandalized and scrutinized, has three main characters. Paul, who writes a letter to Philemon. Philemon, we know, or we find out through church history and in other places in scripture, is a business leader. He's wealthy. He is a Christ follower. He is actually heading up the home church where Paul was. So he's a, he's a good guy, you know. Everybody likes this guy. He's the Scott Shull of the New Testament, if you will, okay? He's doing it all right. Uh, Paul um, now is in jail, and he meets Onesimus, who is a former or a current slave. You, we don't quite know, but somehow he's enslaved, and um, he's wronged Philemon, which don't get me started on this idea of how a 
A slave can wrong a master. Uh, let, Let me pause there real quickly because slavery is complicated across both history and throughout scripture. This kind of slavery that we're talking about is probably a little bit closer to indentured servitude. Not so much like what happened in the colonizing of the United States where there was systemic kind of racial dehumanizing, but it was more someone would go into debt, and I know none of you go into debt, credit card, um, but you go into so much debt that uh, you could willingly enter in and say, I will work for you, I'll live for you, I will enslave myself to you until I paid off my debt. But there was a voluntary entry point and theoretically a voluntary exit point, although obviously very problematic. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying to Philemon, hey, you, uh, you have the legal permission to do this, but I'm gonna suggest something else because the three of us now, we're all brothers. And so we need to find a different way forward. And I I think about this in terms of, as we just rounded the corner from Juneteenth, which is um, our nation's, called sometimes our nation's second Independence Day, where um, the last large grouping of enslaved Africans found out that they were freed by the Emancipation Proclamation in Galveston, Texas. Um, And I I think about that grouping of people and what it must have felt like and, and what it takes for advocates to say, hey, even though something's legal, maybe, maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe we should step up. Maybe we should do something because this this issue issue of slavery has been problematic uh, for a long, long time. In fact, in our nation's history, missionaries would come over and they would want to convert or share the gospel with enslaved Africans um, in the Caribbean. But these missionaries and future plantation owners had a problem because once they would become Christ followers, they'd want them to read scripture but Philemon is a problem. The book of Exodus is a problem. You know, these accounts of liberation, of freedom become problematic, and so what did they do? They created the slave Bible. Uh, This Bible, this Protestant Bible has 66 books. It's a collection. The slave Bible has parts of 14. What does it mean when we conveniently rip out and ignore parts of scripture because they're inconvenient? It's problematic. And yet Philemon, to be clear, is not first and foremost a book about what we should do about slavery or what we should do about social justice or what we should do about conflict or what we should do about confrontation. Although I think it can inform all those things, but the book of Philemon is like every other book in this great collection of books, and that is it points to the transformative power of the gospel. I'm going to say this book, this letter, like every other book in this, points to the transformative work of the gospel. We know this because all three of the main characters have been transformed by the gospel. They're already Christ followers. They already went from not following the way to being followers of the way. They're part of this revolutionary new group of people that's following this, the ways of the unruly rabbi on the side of the mountain. They are in. And yet Paul's writing a letter saying, what if being in, what if there's still more? What if transformation isn't just deciding to alter a set of behaviors or a set of beliefs or get out of hell and into heaven, which is incredible, but only can be done by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what if the invitation is that we, in this room, in this moment, online, what if we can continue to be transformed by the gospel? We know this about our kids. We want our kids to continue to develop, right? The first time my son didn't poop his pants wasn't the last time that he pooped his pants, right? He had to continue to transform his colon, To be able to hold, well, I won't do that again, but you see what I'm saying? 
And somehow we celebrate and go, you decided not to poop your pants and then we let you do whatever you want for the rest of your life. We can be transformed. We're in this series called The Good Life and what if the way to get to the good life is to allow ourselves to continually be transformed? What if what you most want is on the other side of bumping up against the book of Philemon? And so while every book points to the powerful transformation of the gospel, this letter talks about three ways that maybe we can continue to transform. Paul uses in much of his writing a verb called morphuo, to transform, which is present indicative active. It simply means it keeps going. So I keep being changed, I keep being changed, I keep being changed. And if you are like me, when I am honest with myself, this morning I literally woke up at 4? 4? 4.30 when my son came in and I started thinking about this message and I've been thinking about it for a long time and I literally said to myself, do I still believe what the gospel says? And if I do, then how does that chart my life? How does that chart today? How does that chart what I say? Can I believe that I can still be being transformed? So here's the first thing Paul says, the gospel transforms through deeper relationships. The gospel transforms through deeper relationships. In verse six, it says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. This word, share, this verb is koinonia. Now, I have been chewing on this word koinonia for at least two months. I have been listening to messages. I've been doing word studies. You know, I've been waking up thinking, what is this, you know, help me because I just can't get it out of my brain. So last week, you can imagine, I'm online listening to Andy share a message. And what is he talking about? Koinonia, you know? And I'm like, oh my word, like it was really cool. And I know all of you go to church every single week, so I'm sure you heard the message. If by any chance you missed it, go back. Um, But I'm texting Andy going, oh my word, you're speaking about koinonia as a core value of not only this series and this season, but of this church, and I'm thinking about it. So God's either doing something and wants to go real deep on this word, or you colossally made a theological mess and God needs me to fix it. (laughs) It's one of those two things. So I'll let you be the judge, but this koinonia word is often about fellowship, friendship, association, but it's association in Christ, in the kingdom, in this upside-down kingdom that invites us to see the world so much deeper and different. And Paul, even though in the Second Testament it's used 20 times, when Paul uses it, he attaches like this weight to it, this burden-bearing. In Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and share in his sufferings. And when he says share in his sufferings, that's koinonia, that's this burden, this connected to this epic story of Christ's uh, death and resurrection, this epic story of, of people like Cuckoo and people like Shashila that are risking everything, people like me too that are being in prison. We share this, and Paul is saying, let's share this together. And based on this, based on this deep sharing, maybe our lives will be changed. And, and I think about this in terms of I love that this church um, does like uh, table groups. You know, that's just, every church has to kind of rebrand small groups. It's just small groups, don't be afraid. Um, but these, these table groups, that's not fair, right? They're way better. This is the best church in the world for small groups, hallelujah. Um, but we do it because it's such a response to scripture to be in relationship. But what if 
just having a meal and memorizing kids' names, or if you're like me, keeping your wife next to you so that you can remember who you're even talking to on the other side. Like, what's her name again? Um, You know, what if just knowing names of kids is not all that the gospel in Koinonia is about? What if we're supposed to share each other's burdens? What if we are supposed to partner together to move forward, to call one another out? I think one of the reasons why small groups sometimes can kind of fizzle out. They start out really great. You get together, you have a meal, and then week after week, you're like, I don't really know if I'm going to keep doing this. And I think one of the reasons is maybe we let each other off the hook a little bit. We're just kind of getting together and knowing one another, and we miss this beautiful transformational opportunity to go a little bit deeper. Has your spouse ever said, hey, we need to have a talk? Has your boss ever said, hey, we need to have a talk? This is what Paul is doing with Philemon. Philemon, you're a good dude. You're leading a church. You are sharing your house. You're sharing meals. You're doing everything right. Hey, we need to talk. The hey, we need to talk is, would you consider, even though it's legally permissible for you to keep Onesimus, what if you'd consider something else? What if, in the context of deeper relationships, we call people to something deeper? What if the good life is on the other side of something different than safety or comfort or wealth? What if it's on the other side? What if we don't let each other off the hook and say, I see something really great in you. I know you're doing everything right. You don't do anything wrong. You tithe, you volunteer, you do all these things, but but what if I see something? In this room, what if in the context of relationship we could call each other to something better? The gospel is always calling us to more. Not to milk everything out of us because on the other side is the good life. And so in order to do this, Philemon is asking, or Paul is asking Philemon to consider this. And so to do this, then the gospel transforms identities. He's saying, would you consider transforming Onesimus's identity. Remember, they're, they're Christians already, but just Christian and non-Christian, just follower of the way and non-follower of the way, that's not our only things. There are other identities that can be called out in the context of relationship. Onesimus couldn't have called out his own freedom. And there are people in this room that you do not have the ability to see in yourself what other people see. You are not an addict. That is not your primary identity. You are not an angry spouse. You are not an angry parent, or maybe you are, but that's not how you were created to be. You are not a loner. You are not alone. Like, we can call identities out, even though we can't see it in ourselves sometimes. My wife, uh, the other day, was talking about two of her friends, and she said, these are the friends that I've gone to when uh, I've wrestled through seasons of, of mental health. Am I right? Thank you for sharing the whole series on anxiety, Christy and Andy. She said, these are the people that I could be vulnerable with, that called out something better inside of me. I see from here. I see you. You are not an addict. You do not have to be glued to your laptop. You do not have to stare in the mirror and not like what you see. You do not have to be defined by what was done to you 12 years ago. You can be called into something new and better and different, and Paul is inviting Philemon to be a part of speaking into Onesimus into something new, and guess what? Onesimus is not only a brother, he becomes free, and he doesn't even just become free. He becomes the bishop of Byzantine and has been sainted by multiple movements across the history of the church because Paul said, 
even though you're not doing anything legally wrong, even though you know, you're a good church leader, even though this and this, maybe, maybe God wants you to be a part of calling something out in Onesimus. In order to do that, though, we get to our third. The gospel not only transformed through deep relationships and through new identities, but the gospel also transforms through disadvantage. Now, this one's going to be a little bit hard to wrap your mind around. Because I, like most humans, like the advantage, right? We like to have the upper hand. I like sports. Please don't hate me. I was born and raised in Green Bay. I can hear Lambeau Field from my backyard. And when, and when the Packers play the Vikings, I don't care about it being evenly matched. I just always loved it when Delvin Cook was hurt. And I know that's too soon. I know he's gone. But I don't care about even. I want advantage. I want to win. Just, and I, I pray, I don't pray for Justin Jefferson to get hurt, but I'm just saying, I like my odds better when Jefferson's not playing. Okay, maybe you're not all sports people. You're driving on the highway. Let's make it a little bit easier. You see a spot, you gotta cut somebody off, but if you cut that person off, you've got advantage and you've got a really nice lane. We like advantage. We think we're supposed to have advantage. We're supposed to have a better job, a better house, a better car, some better kids, right? We're supposed to have all of this better, 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 but... This letter, as we bump up against it, the only way that we see the beauty of this kind of transformation is somebody's got to embrace disadvantage. This thing, Philemon wasn't doing anything wrong, morally maybe, but he, it was legally permissible. And it made him a lot of money. He was a man of status. And not just financial status, but social status. Sometimes when we make a decision to disadvantage ourselves, other people are going to be mad. They're going to be like, no, 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 that's not how it's wired. That's not how you voted. That's not what you think. That's not what we do. But there are times in Scripture and in our lives when we talk about transformation where we have the opportunity to maybe do something that is counter-cultural, counter-conventional that will end up being wildly impactful. What does it mean for us to disadvantage ourselves Financially, what is it for everybody? I showed up here and there was a huge rally of volunteers. I'm like, you have more volunteers at your pre-rally than most church plants have people that show up, period, that come to their church. That is sacrificing, disadvantaging, investing time, investing money. These are ways that we can do this. And I see, for me anyway, I see this kind of disadvantage all the time and I'm inspired by it from our international partners. I got... I got a picture last week. This is a picture of um, a group of widows who know about another group of widows who don't have food. And this is them putting, I wanna say it's between 40 and 80 pounds on their back and walking up so that other people can eat. Volunteer, disadvantaging themselves. This is what I'm talking about. And what did y'all do? Y'all went, wow. You didn't go, oh, that's stupid. They don't have any legal responsibility to do that. Nobody says that's stupid. That wow is what the church needs to be, what the world needs to see. They need to see wow. Rochester needs to see wow. But the only way we get to the other side where wow is, is if we allow ourselves to be transformed. And that means sometimes embracing disadvantage. That means less money maybe comes to our checking account, less time on the weekends for ourselves. It, it's a whole bunch of things. It means some people may adjust their life and move to another country, or it might mean that you just take a little bit of extra time with your kids and talk to them about what this kingdom life is like. Last year, uh, when I was here, I got to share a story of somebody named Hannah. 
If you're here, you won't forget the video that we showed. If you weren't here, let me just tell you, Hannah uh, was the first person that graduated from one of our safety programs in her village. Between 70 and 90% of the girls are trafficked. Some of them pre-sold when they're in utero, sold at ages 9, 10, and 11. She was the first one to graduate, uh, and she, we brought her to the U.S. to share what was happening, to share about her people group, um, and people loved her. She had such favor on her that she got offered two full-ride scholarships to universities. She got offered citizenship here. Uh, one family allowed her to come live in their million-dollar mansion on the side of the ocean. And then a global epidemic hit. And Hannah, who rose up from some of the most atrocious situation, has every right to just breathe a little bit, feels called to leave the mansion and go back to Nepal. Lives in an apartment of 400 square feet with 10 other women. Says, I will advocate for my sisters and starts a movement, starts an organization that focuses on feminine hygiene, gender-based violence, anti-trafficking. Oh, and by the way, plants churches as well. Just this last year, just this last year, the statistics are that her movement has trained 45 thousand young women in feminine hygiene, teaching them that their bodies were made beautifully because she's not in the mansion. She willingly came over here. These girls have a different view. Their families will have a different view. There were 37 girls that were about to graduate just like Hannah out of the program and had to go back to their villages, but it was very dangerous. So Hannah raises money, has a dream, builds a whole facility, just last week, 37 girls moved into a safe facility and she's raising money for an education endowment. Every single one of those girls will go to college or vocational training so that they have a future. On top of that, she's planting churches. Oh, and in her spare time, just this last year, she personally got on a plane went to India and rescued 10 girls. Literally walked into the brothel, grabbed their arms, gave the Christian middle finger to the pimps and walked out and freed girls. Here's what I'm saying. This story, this is what we are part of. We get to be like the Phoenix and rise up. Now, not everybody is gonna be able to put 80 pounds on their back and go up a hill and not everybody is going to start a movement in Nepal and not everybody is gonna to go to a brothel and rescue girls, but what we have this morning is this letter. And we have to decide what we do with it. We have to decide because if we ignore it and we just go, those were nice stories, if we ignore it because it's inconvenient, and we like safety, and we like comfort. If we ignore it, to me it feels a little bit like, don't worry, I didn't rip out of the actual Bible. That would make a mess for Andy and Christy. It's easy for us to go, those plantation owners and missionaries that created that Bible, man, they were bad apples. But what about us? What parts of this letter this morning do we find inconvenient? That's my scared face, because I don't like to be mean. What parts are inconvenient? Or, as we're in the second week of the good life, could this letter be what's standing between us and the good life?
Could the good life be about something more than our safety, our wealth, our comfort? Could it be about us responding and just going, yeah, transform, do what you need to do. I don't even know if I'm there yet, but I'm willing. And you know what? We need each other for that. That's why I keep referring to this room and online. We're a movement of people. We can't do it on our own. You can't just be awesome by yourself, unless you're Christy. She's carrying a lot of weight with Andy as well. Uh, But together, together, calling it out, saying, I see in you, I see in you, I see in you. My job, this is my boy right here, I see in you, you're awesome. Every day, what does it mean for us to tell our kids, our spouses, our roommates, not only that they're awesome, but say, this is what I see in you. I will disadvantage myself on your behalf. Whether it's volunteering, whether it's serve day, I think there was a missions trip that just came back. Right? This is a movement of people in a world that desperately needs to see, wow, that's what that looks like? So as we bump up against Philemon, our choice is rise up like the phoenix or rip it out because it's inconvenient. May the God of the universe whisper to you that he loves you. Whisper to you, he is not mad. He wants the good life for you. Just like he wants it for those girls in Nepal, he wants the good life for people in Rochester that are fighting for their life at Mayo. He wants the good life for every person that you encounter. And part of the good life is for us to see that we are invited to be a part of the transformative work of the gospel in other people's lives. And I pray that his kingdom would come more beautifully in the Echo, and in Rochester, because we didn't rip it out. Amen. Come let us adore him, the one who is Jesus. Lift up a joyful noise, his presence is with us. His kingdom is here now. Earth is rejoicing. We join with the sound of heaven and say He is holy. Oh, an anthem is arising, and echo is releasing. Our King forever on the throne. In this chorus that we're singing. Melody increasing your name be known forever more not adore him the one who is Jesus so lift up a joyful noise his presence is with us his kingdom is here now the earth is
God, we thank you that you've welcomed us into fellowship, into community with you, into relationship. God, we come into this moment, into this place, understanding that the work that you've begun is not done yet, and you are still in the mode and the handiwork of your transformation. God, my prayer is that this isn't just another message, but this truly does become a movement where we leave and we echo your work and your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, can we take a moment and honor Paul this morning? Wasn't that great? When Paul was speaking and he was talking about the stories of of the people doing the work on on the grounds that are tough and and rough you know and 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 not comfortable uh i thought about a missions trip where uh, we went down to mexico and we were hanging out the missionary and just for a couple days in the evening he'd come and sit down with us and he'd start telling us stories about how he went to the mountains to go tell people about jesus that had never heard his name before and uh and and because of that caused some issues with his own safety and I remember sitting there and and again today is just a reminder I sit there going like what about me like God like man what am I doing like what could I do and I'm just so thankful for the message today that God is calling us to step out of our comfort I remember leaving that missions trip going like Christy like like we're gonna sell everything and we're gonna do something you know and 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 again it might have been a little bit of a gross exaggeration in the moment but but ultimately I really do believe it set up us to step into a future scenario where we're willing to lay down everything and just say God if you call us we're gonna go and I just love that message about God calling us to be transformed through disadvantage and the beauty and the blessing that you can find within that moment and I was thinking about another uh, character in the Bible a person in the Bible named Abraham who God promised I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing to somebody else and I just thought about it like I was just thinking about it, like you know what the good life like isn't about the good places and the good things that you acquire and the good experiences like that's not what we're trying to present no it's trying to present like a good life is possible because we're in relationship with a good God and honestly only the good life happens when we're with a good God and we share it with somebody else and so that's what it reminded me today as Paul spoke to us and and practically I was thinking where do we go from here man I don't want this to be just a message I want this to actually be an action where we step out and in fact would you do this would you just open up your email and you'll find an echo email if you're not a part of the email subscription uh, we'll get you hooked up at the info table but but there is just in a second the, the second announcement is serve day and I'm just asking, I'm, I, would you take your phone out? Like literally, legitimately take your phone out right now. Click on the link and sign up for Serve Day. Like take your phone out, like right now, find the email, click on Echo Serve Day. And hey, you know what? Let's not just, this, this to be a nice little message. Let this be a movement where it actually moves us from our comfortable seats 
to a Saturday morning where we just serve Rochester for four hours. And you know what? It might be a little, but I believe God's going to, to make it happen or make something happen that's way bigger than we could ever imagine. And just believing that if we're faithful with what God tells us to do, then God will continue to work in someone else. And anyway, I'm excited about that. I'm excited for you to sign up for that. I'm excited to serve alongside you. I'm, I'm excited to disadvantage ourselves and my extra sleep I get on Saturday morning to make a difference here in Rochester. Can, can anybody say amen to this morning?